Hello and welcome to the Hoosey Podcast with me, Phil. And today we have a very special guest and returning guest to the show. And I'm glad to say a friend to the show as well. It's Eric. <laughs> it's Eric Renson. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Welcome back. Welcome back. It's been too long. It really has. I hadn't realized just how long it had been uh, until you tweeted, oh, we should do something again. And I was like, yeah, we should. Holy cow, it's been a while. <laughs> it's been... Oh, it's, what, 20, was it 2015, I think, wasn't it? 2015? I think so. I think so. Oh, <laughs> my God. Let's not leave it that long again. Okay, then. Mm-hmm. So, the reason we're, we're here now is we're going to talk about um, Doctor Who spin-off shows, aren't we? Because, unfortunately, the mm-hmm. the last spin-off show class, um, a few weeks ago now, got yeah, it was announced it got cancelled, mm-hmm. basically. So, um, I mean, first of all, what what were your thoughts on on the on the cancellation of of class? I was honestly really annoyed by it because I felt like it was not given a proper chance to thrive. It was completely bungled, um, specifically yep. by BBC America, and and I feel like I watched all of class and thought it was was really great and if they had marketed it right and done it correctly i feel like it could have uh could have gone a lot farther than it did yes i was just mostly mostly mad because whether whether you enjoyed the show or not it's pretty hard to argue that it was uh treated properly from a release standpoint um it was i I think obviously we'll sort of do the spin-offs in in order so we'll sort of touch on class a bit more later but no you're right it was really really bungled badly and not just on bbc america um, as well. Ah, okay. Okay, as, as we'll come to later. <laughs> right. Hashtag teaser. <laughs> so, really, the, I suppose you could say the first spin off we had um, was Canaan and Company, a girl's best friend. Yeah, it was. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, what what are your memories of that? Because mine are a little, a bit, a little bit hazy over the years until it came out on DVD. Um, well, I be- never actually saw it when it originally aired. I don't know if PBS ever picked that up uh, in in my area in Wisconsin. Uh, I don't think it was ever included with any of the packages that PBS picked up for its its runs. So it wasn't something I had ever seen. I had only just sort of heard about it in in whispers from people who had experienced it in their childhood. And, you know, most of those people were from the UK. So I only watched it for the first time. I think it was this year uh, because we covered it on Verity. It was either this year or the the end of last year. So fairly recently. so that was my my very first introduction to it. And I got to say, maybe it's because people had been um, smack talking it all these years. <laughs> and my my expectations were very, very low that I came out. I just adored it. I thought it was hilarious. And I'm not going to say it was like good or excellent or anything, but I just thought it was really fun. Hilarious. Damning with faint <laughs> praise there, I think. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, completely worth watching. It was, I mean, if you are a Sarah Jane fan, which I am, and yes. if you are a canine fan, which I am, that's two of my top favorite companions of all time, you could put them together and they could, you know, sit around in the living room and snark at each other. And I would watch that for, you know, 40 <laughs> minutes. But in this case, they had them solving a ridiculous countrified mystery that, you know, was just, you know, you had quirky people in a small village. And this is just like if you're going down a checklist of things that Erica loves, bam, bam, bam. And <laughs> so there was no way that I was not going to in, enjoy the experience of watching that. I don't know if it could have carried an entire series that way. I probably would have liked to have seen them try. But just for like a, a one-off around Christmas time, yeah, that was... I, I, I can definitely see myself re-watching this regularly during the holiday season. <laughs> was it was the um, the home county's accent another another fo- thing on your list as well to tick off? Because that's one thing Doctor Who was really famous <laughs> for. It didn't matter where in the country you came from, you spoke like that if you come to the country, didn't you? <laughs> yep. Yep. Yarp. Yep. So, yeah. Pick that off the list. <laughs> so the thing is, I always thought this was first broadcast on Boxing Day in 1981, and I was—I th- I don't know why I always thought it was Boxing Day. It was actually on the 28th of December, so it, it was mm. after the Christmas festivities. But um, I still remember sort of sitting down with my family uh, to watch it, and the only th- so there's a couple of things that sort of stuck out in, in my mind is the bit where um canon announces where he came from it's from the doctor and you've got the little the little doctor mm-hmm. who theme tune sting appeared mm-hmm. in it. that's about the one and only thing i can remember from it was that <laughs> and the theme tune oh yes yes oh now, yes now there's um a few years ago in the uk there was there was a, a very popular thing on television loads and loads of list shows it was like the best this or the worst this um and Canon and company made the worst tv theme tunes so, <laughs> so. i can't say i'm surprised i was actually introduced to the theme tune way before i ever saw the, uh, the show because people had pointed it out on YouTube and and actually the <laughs> first trip that Stephen and I made to the UK yeah. uh, we took a road trip from London to Cardiff to go to the Doctor Who experience and in the car mm. our uh, our good friend Simon Harris had his uh, had his phone along and was playing incidental music tracks from Doctor Who and bringing things up on YouTube and <laughs> one of the songs that that was played that we all uh, listened to and saying along to i guess you could say was the canine theme song we played that a few times off of youtube and yeah just you know five complete nerds sitting in a car going canine Canine." it was it was a magical experience that i will never forget oh dear well the thing is i the thing is people say it's pretty bad um and, and and it was a flop but the thing is though it got really big audience figures for, mm-hmm. for that it got 8.4 million viewers now um that's nothing to sniff at, really. That's that's quite a successful thing. Um, but it wasn't picked up. Um, and I don't entirely know why. Maybe because it wasn't science fiction-y enough? You know, I have heard you know, multiple different uh, different things about the, the production of it and whether it was made to be an actual pilot, made to be a backdoor pilot, Um any of that sort of thing, and and yeah, I, so I don't I don't really know what the uh, what the behind the scenes dirt is. Somebody needs to write the the official book on the making of Canine and Company. Yes, and <laughs> let us know, <laughs> like dig into it and 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 tell us tell us exactly exactly what happened there because because yeah, it did. I, I feel like it was really successful at you know besides being a pilot at what it set out to do. It was sort of just a a warm 
mystery story that was, you know, sort of open to to children and, you know, and adults to some extent. But, yeah, you know, the, yeah. the fans, basically. And it got a whole bunch of people to watch it. And and yeah, I think that that in what it was trying to do for that that one story, it was it was really successful. I think I think it's one of those received fan wisdom things that the people who are the hardcore Doctor Who fans who continued to talk about the show for decades afterwards, uh, mm. many of those people as they grew up probably found it hard to, to to talk in glowing terms about a story that starred you know a quote unquote girl reporter and her dog. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, her robot I, so I dog at that. that so. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think the the received fan wisdom has has really treated. Uh, this this poor show uh pretty badly i think so i think so yeah i mean um i have watched it fairly recently and it's it's as you say it's it's fun to watch and it is hilarious in in some of the in some of the um in some of the scenes and and all the 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 home county's accents which are and it never ceases to amaze me that the home county's accent but um I, i just sort of as we were talking about, you know, why did it get cancelled? Now, it was apparently approved by Bill Cotton, where he approved the pilot. He was the controller of BBC One. And he left soon, soon after oh, that. that's right. Yeah, and it was a guy called Alan Hart took over, and he just didn't like the idea. So it wasn't commissioned any further. So, um, I don't know. I, do, I think it adds possibly had a bit of promise there. It might have been yeah, short-lived, think, but you know. I, yeah, the only I, the only difficulty I feel like they would have run into is the fact that it's you know it's set sort of in the country in this quaint little town, and how many supernatural things can you come up with for for Sarah, Jane, and K nine to investigate in that tiny little town before things get weird? Then again, I'm a huge Midsummer Murders fan, and same you know, <laughs> Yeah, it's been going on for how many years? So how many murders is that? Uh, we're in season like 19 or something at this point. I know. Um, so yeah, Midsummer the- is like the worst place <laughs> in the world to live. Population, the police force. I think that's yeah. it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't know. I, I think it's um it's it's very much of its time. As you say, the theme tune is very much of its time. Um, written by um, Uber fan Ian Levine, um, yep. which apparently which apparently is supposed to be an orchestral piece rather than the electronic mm. treatment, um, which according to him was done without his knowledge. So wow. That is yeah. mind blowing. I'm trying to picture it as orchestral, and I am failing 100. percent Wow. It, the thing is, the electronic version goes with those opening credits. Yep. Mm-hmm. It, it just it, everything. Actually, I mean, everyone says it's awful, but it's a perfect marriage of, of picture and sound. Yes. It, it really I, is. <laughs> I know people who who are not really Doctor Who fans, but who, for whatever reason, somebody has shown them those opening credits, and they just think it's the most hilarious thing ever. Uh, and Stephen <laughs> pointed out to me, there was somebody on Twitter a while back, and I don't remember who it was, so I can't give them proper credit, who pointed out that if you don't know anything about Doctor Who or about K-9 and Sarah Jane, the way that the opening credits are edited together, it looks like a show about a girl who can turn into a robot dog. Because <laughs> you get those, like, the zoom in to Sarah Jane standing in the middle of the road, and then the next shot is, like, the zoom in to K-9 standing in exactly the same shot in the road. Like, what? It just looks like she's turned into a dog. A robot dog. After drinking copious glasses of wine, because that in her is, leg warmers in, in, or whatever in her leg warmers exactly yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah I'm other people turn to Canaan after drinking copious amounts of wine as well so <laughs> yes 
I might try that later. <laughs> I'll get back to you if I'm successful or not. Yeah. <laughs> now, so that was pretty much it. It was sort of like a, I suppose you could say it was at the time it was kind of a, a failed experiment. Um, and I think, I mean, it also got more viewing figures than an average episode of Doctor Who did at that time, mm-hmm. which is, which is amazing. Um, so I think it was definitely the, you know, the Liz Sladen factor um, played yeah. into that, you know, one and of the also- most... Perhaps the fact that it was, you know, a, a one-time special around Christmas. And mm. I know that, like, you know, Christmas programming is a much bigger deal in the UK than it is in the United States. In the US, people tend to avoid watching television at Christmas, so you don't get anything new. Uh, whereas at the holidays, you know, the, the whole idea of a Christmas special, Doctor Who gets one every year now mm. at the time. But uh, but I think that, that the fact that it was, a, you know, effectively like a you know, sort of a, a TV special might have might have helped. I think so. I definitely think so. So we have to move along quite a few years now, don't we, to get to our next spin-off. Um, it's a big jump. The big, big jump, um, which was Torchwood. Um, which began in 2006. Now, um... What what was your opinion at the time with with Torch? Because obviously Doctor Who by this time in its second series um, with, with David Tennant, and it was absolutely massive. It was a massive, massive hit. Um, and already Russell T Davis, his little grey cells were going, and he thought, right, spin off. Um, and we had the wonderful Pauline Collins as as uh, Queen Victoria announcing Torchwood, um, which mm-hmm. then was woven into the into the, each story <laughs> sometimes yes. i felt a little bit ham-fistedly now and again but you know there there it was mm. um and then lo and behold we, we get the first series so um what did you think because i i personally i felt i didn't i felt it was a little bit uneven the mm. first series of torchwood and i kind of dipped in and out of it a little bit i wasn't an avid viewer to begin with i didn't I don't. I didn't actually have good access to it at the time because I can't remember. I'm not even sure how I was watching Doctor Who. I think I had somebody like just burning video CDs for me or something. Yeah. Uh, at the time, so I was, I was struggling just to keep up with Doctor Who itself, and so I didn't actually come to see Torchwood. I sort of knew of its its existence on the periphery, but I wasn't able to watch it until quite a few years later. So when I watched it, it was in the context of sort of knowing knowing what people thought about it. So I really went in, not, once again, lowered expectations. <laughs> I went in not expecting it to be, to be great. Um, so I just sort of saw it as kind of like Sarah Jane Adventures or mm. Canine and Company, um, just sort of like a little bit of fun. It was it was trying really hard to be grown up, and I thought that that it was kind of hilarious in the way that it totally failed in some <laughs> in some ways. It was, it was wasn't like it? It, yeah. It was like, yeah, it was like, like a it, teenager. It funnily. Yeah, it was like a teenager mm-hmm. trying to write sex scenes, basically. Yep. That, that's yep. that's but I, you know, so I felt about it. It, it, it was so, mm-hmm. as you say, some of it was hilarious. You know, so, mm-hmm. and I, but I ended up. I really liked the characters, and uh, which is actually one of the reasons I'm super, super looking forward to the next series of Doctor Who because Chris Chibnall um, had a decent amount to do with Torchwood. I yes. mean, it was mostly Russell T. Davis, but yeah. Chris Chibnall um, was 
what co co showrunner or something for a while. He definitely wrote a bunch of episodes. He did, yeah. And I thought that the characterization, like the the plots were often ridiculous, um, but the characters were were pretty well fleshed out. Like they all had they all had their own arcs and their own interactions, and all of that seemed stayed fairly consistent throughout the the first two seasons of the show. Yeah. So. That and that's kind of what I grasp onto the most when I'm watching a TV show that's new to me is are is there somebody I can root for? Are there characters that I enjoy watching and want to see what they do? And absolutely, I got that out of out of Torchwood. Um, my uh, my Verity podcast co-host Lynn, um, I think she coined the coined the phrase camp noir, which is what she <laughs> describes Torchwood as. And I think that's perfect because it is it's a super camp show. And, you know, it's 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 definitely noir. It's, it's definitely got that darkness. And when you put those two things that are so far apart, like you don't think camp and and noir um, in the same breath. But when you put those two things together, it's kind of like two tastes you wouldn't expect to taste great together that actually complement each other really nicely if that's your thing. Yes, yes. It's like the... I'm trying to put that into that analogy into some sort of context there. Sort of like... Um, you ever heard that, that there's a, a chef in the UK, Heston Blumenthal, you, you heard of him? I have not. You've not? Okay, he does some weird and wacky... Um, creations um one of one of his famous ones and i suppose you you, you could say talk to is like he, he it's like <laughs> it's like his version of uh, the um bacon and egg ice cream <laughs> oh my yeah it, it's two ingredients that shouldn't work but they do so <laughs> mm. hey i would absolutely try bacon and egg ice cream so I, would i <laughs> it sounds gross but i would try it <laughs> He's had a great deal of success there. And Snail Porridge is another one of his famous ones as well. So, Oh, my. Yeah, I know. I'm a bit iffy on that one. So, um, <laughs> yeah, as you say, I mean, Chris Chibnall, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, he his name was against one of the, the most um, ridiculed episodes of Torture, which was Cyber Woman. Yeah, but he didn't. I keep saying this. Chris Chibnall did not design that costume. No, he didn't. I'm like 99% sure he had very little to do with the costume design, which, let's face it, that's the worst part of that episode. 100%. I honestly, I don't think that the story itself is all that bad. The idea of, you know, you get, it's a love story. Yanto falling in love and using the power that he has, Mm. you know, as an administrator of this place to try to save the woman that he loves. I, I think that that's actually a heartbreaking and kind of a beautiful story. When you put his his lover in this costume, it's really hard to see past that to anything else. And then, you know, there's the whole barbecue sauce thing at the end, which to me is just a perfect slice of Torchwood. Like that's that's the, just the ridiculousness that you get in, in doses uh, pretty often that, that just makes me laugh. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Now, there were, there were some good... Um some good episodes and I think it certainly found its feet cunt towards in with the Captain Jack Harkness and End of Days um, episodes mm-hmm. at, at the end um, yes I think it certainly found its feet but then comes series two again they sort of got it together a bit more didn't they mm-hmm. yeah it, 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 yeah it, I mean it's it, it depends on what it depends on what you're watching for. If you really just are are into the the ridiculousness and the campness, season one is actually more fun, I think, than season two. Season two um, is a little bit it's it's a little bit grittier and a little bit darker. Mm. So it appeals, I think, more to you know to the people who think that you know that grown up and gritty equals good. And I'm not necessarily one of those people. So I think I actually equally like the first and the second season of Torchwood just for, for different reasons. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think even, even then though, I still didn't quite click with it for some reason. And, I, and I'm, I'm still not entirely sure. 
entirely sure why, because I think Jack Harkness is a, is a fantastic character. And as you said, all the other characters in, in Torchwood are all good. And I think that, that was, for me, that's what, you know, it's been its saving grace, really, are, are the characters. Um, and you sort of, when they get sort of get killed off sort of one by one, Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, sorry for people spoilers but for people who haven't yet watched Torchwood <laughs> yes, uh, people will die yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so come the end you do really feel for them mm-hmm. you know you sort of you, you, you know you've you know, lost you know lost a friend so it's um, yeah I, I, really job done really on, on that front you know if they make you feel for the characters and actually sort of you don't want them to go I think you know that that's that's a sign of you know of, of a pretty good program really mm-hmm yeah, I think it's just, uh, you know, not a lot of people are willing to overlook the the silliness that is that is involved in many of the the plots and the character interactions. To be to be fair, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of OTT. Like it goes over the top, you know, more than once, and that's you know that and that's absolutely just a judgment call. Like if if that's not a thing that you're into, the show's not gonna not gonna totally hit for you. If you are a fan of the over the top stuff, then yeah, <laughs> Torchwood's gonna be your happy place. Yeah, exactly. Mind you, I mean. You know, I suppose people are watching this because they watched Doctor Who at the time. And, and there was a lot of that. There was mm-hmm. a lot of that. And I think RTD had a, obviously had a hand in both both series. And I think there was a lot of over-the-topness in Doctor Who as well, really. Um, a lot of mm-hmm. silliness. And I think people were, were willing to let that slide because it was Doctor Who. And I think because there was a, that kind of aspect again in, in Torchwood, which people were expected to be a bit more adult, and as you say, gritty. Um, I think that, that's why people sort of didn't like it, really. They, they couldn't sort of... You've got the silliness and the grittiness at the same time, and then people just didn't like the, the mix mm-hmm. of that. Yep, yep. It's And that's a, that's a tough one to swallow for a lot of people, which yeah. is, you know, that's fine. Yeah, but as I say, if you watch Doctor Who and you like the silliness in that, then... It, should, it shouldn't be that hard to accept in Torchwood, really, but but that's people that you know they you know that's you know that's why people you know watch things and or, or don't watch things you know it's not their cup yeah. it wasn't not their cup of tea obviously and and I've got to be honest it wasn't at that time it wasn't really mine either I just sort of di- I just kept dipping in and out it wasn't um, a must watch show for me mm-hmm. if it was on I'd watch it if you, if you if I switched over if it was on I'd, I'd, okay Torchwood's on and I'll I'll sit and watch it there, but um, but it just goes to show the popularity though, because it was the biggest show on BBC Three at the time mm. um, before it moved across uh, on its second series. It was aired on I think the BBC Two in the end. So um, yeah, I mean it certainly got I think on let's look on BBC Three here. Yeah, it was getting sort of an average sort of one and a half million viewers. I think the lowest it got was zero point eight three. Um, that was on episode eleven. So, um, but even then, for a, um, as we say, a, a niche channel like BBC Three, well done. Mm. You know, yeah, was, that was that's pretty yeah. damn good going. It really was. Um, mm-hmm. But obviously, we move on to the series three, which is really Children of Earth. Um, mm-hmm. What now? This really was gritty. What there was not a lot of humour <laughs> to be found uh-huh. in this one, was there? No. And this is this is the first Torchwood that I. I was able to watch, you know, with the rest of the world sort of yeah. as as it came out. Yeah. And so I, I felt like I got more the the fan experience because I was experiencing it at the same time as, you know, millions, millions of other people. Mm. And the way that they chose to air it just, you know, night after night after night of this just, you know, uh, 
depressing, like harsh, but <laughs> so intense and, and good, I thought. I mean, it was it was like no other television experience I had ever had. I mean, there were a lot of miniseries when I was growing up in the mm-hmm. United States. That was just a thing that was, was really big. And yeah. they had fallen by the wayside for many years. So it, in one way, it was kind of reminiscent of that sort of thing that I hadn't seen in a long time, but doing it in a way that, you know, I'd never watched anything that was quite so... Um, gut wrenching. <laughs> yeah, I know it was, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. It was. Oh my mm-hmm. god! It was. Um, I must. I mean, as you say, though, it. You know, this little the way they treated it like a mini series. Um, I couldn't take my eyes off it. To be honest, it really. I mean, the first episode just grabbed you and just didn't let go. Um, and yep. the overall sort of themes and and the, the doom surrounding mm-hmm. it as well. Um, as you say, it, it was pretty hard to take. It really was hard to take. Um. But I just couldn't stop watching it, and I, I yep. absolutely adored it. I really did. Um, mm-hmm. And as you say, gritty doesn't necessarily mean good, you know, being dark mm-hmm. and everything. But uh, I think this one managed. I think yeah. this one had had both. It was gritty and it was good. You know, two yeah. separate things, but they they worked really really well together. So I'm I'm for me that's my favorite span of Torchwood I like you know season three I guess Children of Earth the best of all of them but I have only gone back and rewatched that once and I it will be a long time before I do it again if ever because it's just hard hard to watch so if I if I feel like watching some Torchwood I am definitely going to go back to seasons one or two and just you know throw on an an episode you know randomly from there um but but I know a lot of people who are really, really big Torchwood fans that actually are not huge fans of Children of Earth because it's sort of an outlier. It doesn't really feel like the rest of Torchwood. It's a very, very different show it is. when you get to that season. It really is. Um, and the, the weird thing is it's all due to budget cuts because the mm-hmm. increase in license, the BBC license fee um, wasn't awarded. So um, it was basically cut from a 13-episode run to just five um, and in that weird sort of harsh environment of trying to make TV programs, um, it sort of ended up being its sort of its benefit at the same time. I know John Barrowman didn't like it at the time. Um, he, he was very quite. I think I remember he was quite vocal about the mm-hmm. fact that BBC cut it um, from thirteen episodes to five. But um, I just think it was such a blessing in disguise. I yeah. Mean, so many times, really, the the greatest art. Well, maybe not the greatest art, but a lot of really great art is made within constraints. Yeah. Like you have to you have to overcome some some obstacles and that makes you think of new things and you know necessity is the mother of invention yeah so i you know it's too bad that uh, torchwood miracle day didn't get cut down from 10 episodes to five <laughs> yes we'll come on to that in a moment so, mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah but i mean as, as you say it was the whole um sort of backstory about about children of earth um it was horrifying and the thing is though it, it sort of makes you wonder would the British or any government, for that matter, faced with that with that with that situation, would they just give up mm-hmm. on the population like that? Just give in and give you know that basically what they, they were given away was underachieving children. Basically, they weren't going to really um, give anything to, to to the world when when they grow up. Basically, they're going to hand them over to the to these you know, the, the the four, five, six mm-hmm. to use as their um, their drugs, and it's quite chilling. Really, you just sort of get the feeling it, they would make the decision as easy as that if if this was real. Yep, 
yeah, I mean, it just, it was, it felt, and I think that's one of the reasons that a lot of people uh, kind of liked it and, you know, it resonated with people more than the earlier seasons of Torchwood because not a lot of the stuff that happened or the decisions that were made in the first two seasons of Torchwood seemed like realistic things that would happen mm. in the in the world that we know because it was just kind of flashy and fun. Yeah. And, and you know... T- Captain Jack Harkness, yeah, sure, he can't get killed, but he's a terrible boss. Like he's just <laughs> not good at keeping his people alive no, and he's doing not. the right thing. He's not. And then, and then you get here to to Children of Earth, where yeah, pretty much every decision that the government makes and and all of those things that are happening seem very realistic. Like it's it's so it hits close to home and feels like like that would be that would be what would happen and it gave us peter capaldi that was actually yes. my yes. first real well i had already seen him in uh, in neil gaiman's neverwhere um years and years before that mm. but uh, but this was the first thing that i actually remembered seeing him in and noticing him in i had not he hadn't really made a huge impression in uh in the uh fires of pompeii doctor who episode uh, like i knew he was in it sort of but yeah this was this was the thing that made me go, holy cow! Who is this guy? He's amazing. Yeah, he is, and it's that final scene when he he walks into the bedroom with with the pistol. Yeah. It, oh man, mm-hmm. it is it is gut wrenching. It really is gut wrenching. It, it's oh, that's the thing. I've never I've never watched the show uh, like that because most things will end up with a nice. It, it's all wrapped up nice and neatly. It's a nice happy ending, and everybody walks off into the sunset, and nobody walks off into the sunset. In this, in this mm-hmm. at all, do they? It, it is. It ends on such a, such a, a down. Everyone's in a very, very dark place. Um, yep. But again, I, I still love it. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I can't quite get my head around that, but I, I, I still love it. I still love it. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, even for my, um, we're talking before we we start recording for my my wife Jo. She's not a, a big science fiction fan. Uh, but she was glued to it as well, so that that that's sort of kind of my litmus test. Um, if if science fiction television is really good, then my wife will watch it. So, <laughs> so there you are. So, um, but as you say, that what we get next is um, Miracle Day, um, which mm-hmm. which kind of started round about the time we we this podcast sort of first aired, really, mm. um, and we, we reviewed it um, more or less out of. I can't say slavish devotion, but out of some sort of, <laughs> I don't know, sadomasochism. I don't know, really. It was, um, <laughs> I, I I really didn't enjoy it at all. My co-host, Paul, I think enjoyed it a bit more than I did. Um, but no, I, I thought it was wildly, wildly uneven. And I mean, what, what, what did you think, Erica? What did you think? Because this, this was the first UK-US co-production, was it? The Stars mm-hmm. Network. Yeah. Yeah, I... I didn't I I could see sort of like the fingerprints of stars all over it and I didn't love that. What what um, is stars because I this is the first I've ever heard of them. I know it's it's a um is it a cable network? Stars? It is. It's a it's a premium cable network that you actually have to pay for separately. So it's not like it's not like a kind that you would just get in like your second or third tier. Mm. So it's like it's like an HBO or Showtime or something like that yeah. um for for people in the states. And and yeah, and it's it's sort of become known for it's you know they're not afraid to show 
you know, private parts and boobs and <laughs> and blood and gore and death and that sort of thing. Yeah. So I feel like they sort of leaned into that more than you need to for Torchwood. Um, so you got to the like it, it, it really fell into what I think is a trap of gritty equals good and sort of, you know, substituted plot and character development for just darkness and awful things happening. Yeah. And it definitely made for a difficult experience watching it in some cases. I think I think if it existed in a vacuum, if there if I had either not known about earlier Torchwood or it didn't exist, I would have watched, you know, all 10 episodes and it would have been a slog in places, but I think it would have been fine. I mean, I I still enjoyed quite a few bits of it. Um so I I'm, I'm not I'm not a Miracle Day hater. I'm just I just feel like it could have could have been much better than it was and it made me very sad <laughs> a lot of places <laughs> for a lot of reasons. But but I don't I didn't think it was as terrible as as a lot of people came out of it thinking. Um but I do think that it suffered by having been the next thing after Children of Earth and having such a long wait in between. So that's a lot of time to get expectations yes. up. That's a hard act to follow. And and I think it, they probably would have been better served in trying to just go in a different direction rather than to do something so similar to the Children of Earth vibe and stretching it out over 10 episodes, over 10 weeks. It just, it didn't, it didn't work. I think part of the genius of, of uh, Children of Earth is giving you like it's just a giant punch in the face for a week straight yeah and then you're done it's not a long death march to the end that sort of thing yeah yeah i, I totally agree i totally agree because i i come the end of the 10 episodes I, I was why am i sticking with this now because i just really really mm-hmm. wasn't enjoying it at all as you say it was one episode could be great the next one could be uh-huh, okay the next one could be an absolute mm-hmm. stinker um i sort of so i kept going back and watching it. is is this going to get is it going to get any better? Because, I mean, as you say, off the back of um, Children of Earth, I was expecting another Children of Earth, to be honest. Yep. And, and as you say, I think a lot of people did. And I certainly didn't get that from from my point of view. And it's, I don't know, it, it, it introduced the character of Rex Matheson, which I took an instant dislike to because he was such a mm-hmm. dick. He really was. Yep. Yep. <laughs> And I don't know if that was meant to be the the whole point, but he didn't seem to learn anything, did he? You sort of it's supposed to be a, a journey for a character. To start out as as an as an idiot and they or mm-hmm. or a a hole, whatever you want to call them, um, and they're supposed to sort of wake up and realise and they become a better person at the end of it. No, he was still a dick at the end of it. Um, yep. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I re- I really oh dear, I really didn't like it. And um, Yes, I thought. Yeah, and I think they, I think they leaned on his character yes. a lot too to sort of pull in the U.S. audience because he had been on, I think ER uh, was what he had been known for, which is a huge show yes. in the United States. Was here as well, um, yeah. So he had, a, so he had, you know, a lot of star power behind him, mm. but, but yeah, giving him that character and not letting the character become likable. I think he was supposed to be sort of like he's the jerk with a twinkle in the eye that you that you love but you can't help yourself except that he, I didn't love him. No. Um, he just he they didn't they didn't nail that characterization to 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 make that character shine in the way that he should have. And I don't know if that was casting. Like I like Mackay Pfeiffer. I think he's a great actor. Mm. Um so I'm 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 not I'm not really going to lay that on his shoulders. I think that it was and it was maybe just sort of a a 
fundamental misunderstanding of what like Americans think of as as charming in our own <laughs> characters. <laughs> I don't know, uh, but it just he he seemed like the jerky American that was uh, that was you know put in with all of these these British people. Maybe the fact is that the people who are sort of the core target audience of Torchwood are, you know, British people and people in the United States who have been watching Doctor Who and Torchwood mm. who appreciate and understand sort of like the British way of, of framing things and telling stories. And you plop in this very broadly American character and it just it's just like fingernails on a chalkboard. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it was to me. It certainly was to me. Because I think the, the opening episode... Was 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 fantastic. It was a, a real barnstorm of an episode. You know, they've, they've been chased along that beach um, in Wales, mm-hmm. and Gwen gets out a rocket launcher and just shoots down their helicopters. He's saying, "We're yep. we're Torchwood," and I thought, "Yes, Gwen's back." You know, um, but mm-hmm. and actually, I did like her story in this actually yep. with her father. I thought that that was that was really well done. Um, I think mm-hmm. it was the the stateside Captain Jack stuff that I didn't really engage with. Yeah, there was. I mean, I I know people who who noped out of, of Miracle Day at various points. Uh, there were there were a few people who who gave up after um, the uh, the doctor. I can't remember what her name was, but who got burned. Oh yes, she alive. got yes yes. Yep, and they quit after that. And I was like, good for you. If that if you didn't like that, that's great that you stopped watching there because it's not like it got any any warmer no. and then um the the people that i know i'm mentioning lynn from uh, from verity again who's a huge torchwood fan huge yeah. captain jack fan when she saw captain jack like in a flashback having like absolutely joyless sex with a man like yay yay for for showing a same sex you know uh-huh. sex scene on yeah. television like that's great but the fact that it was a hundred percent joyless and like that's not captain jack the no. captain jack that that we know and love, that I know and love, is he has a twinkle in his eye and he's not beaten down by the world. And it was just, it was so antithetical to the things that that made us love him as a character that Lynn was just like, nope, I'm out. That's, I can't do that. And I was like, good for you. That is a smart move because yeah. his story doesn't get any better either. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think the other, the other weird thing with this one, which I thought didn't really go anywhere, was the Oswald Dane's character. Yeah, and that was, I mean, he was, oh boy, Bill Pullman is very effective at being a creepy guy. He just, like, he was he was so good at that that it made it uncomfortable to watch, but the character didn't, I don't know, it just, it his arc didn't do enough to make it okay to be that uncomfortable watching him. So the thing is, you know? I, I, I personally, because everyone said, oh, he's... Um... His performance is really creepy, and oh, it freaks mm-hmm. me out. And I wasn't getting that at all, to be honest. I, How much had you seen him in previously? Because I wonder if it's just watching him play against type that did it. Probably for me. is. I mean, I suppose that the um, oh, I'm trying to think of that Wes Craven um, horror film, that zombie thing. I can't remember. Um, I've seen him in that, and then obviously um, the big one's going to be Independence Day really, mm-hmm. when he was in that. And as you say, this is against type, but I really wasn't getting that, that creepy vibe off of him. Because I, I remember saying this when it was on, I thought, am I missing something here? And I think, <laughs> obviously I was. So. 
you know, I'll just, I'll just. Yeah, I think. I, I mean, to, to me, he'll always be the the the, the dashing rogue from Spaceballs. Yes. So, yeah. So this was so many miles away from that 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 I think for me maybe it was just sort of a cognitive dissonance thing going on. Yeah. Watching him be bad. Yeah. Yeah, but as I say, he didn't really sort of go anywhere, did it? At the end, he sort of this no. whole thing. He sort of you could, you're never really sure with him whether he really was remorseful about the, the crimes he committed um, mm-hmm. or, or not, really. And and I still didn't get a feeling of whether whether he was or he wasn't. Come the end, just one of those plot threads that didn't really sort of get resolved to my mind. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. so it was a bit of a it was a bit of a shame, really. Um, and I forgot. I, I, I did. Just, I was because I was. I, had, I, oh, sorry. I was going to add to mention, but I forgot to mention um, that um, Children of Earth did give us the Yanto Shrine. That's right. Before we go any further, I just wanted to just make people aware we hadn't forgotten the Yanto Shrine. So, um, yeah. Sorry. Yes, sorry. You were going to say. <laughs> I was just going to say that overall, I think I think it just had too much room to roam. Is, yeah, is really its problem because there were some really interesting ideas and some some really good performances you know along with some less good ones mm-hmm. and and some good arcs and stuff and if it would have just been trimmed down and you know tightened up i think it could have been something that i would have at least really really loved even with some of the darkness and the ickiness mm. like you know i don't i don't mind a little bit of dark and icky as long as the the plot holds it together and stuff yeah. Uh, yeah. however the the ending that it was all leading toward left me completely just completely empty like i just i was like this is this is it this is where where we're ending and that's that's what was going on like it just it didn't really feel like a good enough payoff for all of all of everything that we had dealt with and the idea that there's something sort of like that huge you know at the middle of the earth uh and the doctor never never talks about it ever never visits never does anything involved like i can i can understand him being MIA long enough for the four, five, six stuff to happen in the space of of a week or whatever. Yeah, but yeah. but this seemed like it was kind of an order of magnitude bigger, and it seems like when you have a show that's set in the same universe as the Doctor, it's really hard to tackle something that's that immense and have it still sort of feel like it's natural to f- to be in that world. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say. Um... The, the, you know the fact that you know the doctor's meant to be in this universe i think because because he he didn't show up um mm-hmm. in this i think that yeah it did sort of as you say the magnitude of of this event um yeah he he should have been there he should have been there. i think that that's kind of mm-hmm. kind of hurt it but i suppose you know it's torture's got you know spin-off shows need to be their own thing at the same time don't they yep. really you know that mm-hmm. that's whole that's the whole point of a, of, a, of a spin-off i suppose um but i suppose really that 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 was the end of Torture Realm. It, it, it sort of carried on in sort of comic book form and book form, and now on on Big Finish as well. But for, for the TV, this is where it where it ended. It ended on a, on a cliffhanger. Our, our, our favourite character Rex um, now seems to be immortal as well. So, <laughs> yep. And it never went any yeah, further. Yeah, I was than not. That. I was not pleased about that. I was like, I mean, had it been more well received, I wouldn't have been surprised to see a, a spin-off of a spin-off that's just like, you know, the Rex Tillerson, Tillerson show or, or whatever his last name was, Rex um, Matheson. Matheson. 
Yes. Uh, Rick, Rick's Tillerson sound sound uh, altogether different. Totally, <laughs> totally different. Yes. Well, that name's just stuck in my head these days. Um, but yeah, like the Rex Matheson show of him running around and just being an a-hole to everybody and being immortal at the same time. Yeah, I know. Like, I, I don't know that I would have wanted to watch that. No, me neither. Esther should have got it, actually. She should have, should have been immortal at the end instead of dying. So. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, here, here. Yeah. Anyway, so... Sort of running sort of concurrently with Torchwood um, at the time, we had our next spin off, The Sarah Jane Adventures. Now, which I absolutely adore. I really do. <laughs> I know it is aimed at um, a much younger, a younger audience. Uh, than than me, obviously, um, but mm-hmm. I'm not being honest. It's when I we watched the and this is pre my kids being born. So this is my kids were born two years after Sarah Jane Adventures finished. Um, me and my wife we watched the the pilot um, was it Invasion of the Bane, mm-hmm. and then when we found it was it was going to series on the CBBC channel. Um, we would record it and watch it as soon as we got home from work. <laughs> That's how much we loved it. We we, we would watch it eating our dinner. Um, and I just thought it was perfect, really. I thought it was it was a perfect children's television show um, that adults could watch as well. And it was all held together by the wonderful and and I don't know if Miss Sarah Jane, uh, uh, sorry, Miss Sarah Jane Smith, Liz Sladen. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I really miss Liz Sladen. I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I just bought the box set on the, of the DVDs um, recently and be watching sort of watching them again. And um, and I, I still love it. It holds up really well. I absolutely adore this show. I cannot praise it high, highly enough. I really cannot. Did you watch this yourself, or was that something you sort of I, dipped in and out? I of? did. I, again, I didn't watch it at the t- at like as it was was coming out consistently. Yeah. Um, I think I think maybe toward the end of the first season was when I was starting to actually watch it as it was as it was coming out. Yeah. Um, but at, at the beginning, I sort of had to play catch up and watch a bunch of episodes. And yeah, I I felt like, you know, in spinoff terms, this is by far the closest to feeling like the parent show um, of any of the rest of them. Because really, I mean, g- growing up watching classic Doctor Who back in the day, this felt more like that than anything else that I had that I have seen. It actually felt to me more like classic Doctor Who than it did like modern Doctor Who. It was like classic Doctor Who with a modern Doctor Who sort of sort of flair. Yeah. That you had, you know, it was episodic. You you know, you'd have a story that was that was told over multiple episodes, just two, but still that's you know a break in, in the middle of the action, unlike the forty five minute episodes of of New Who. And you had, you know, Sarah Jane as the sort of doctor figure and her her TARDIS crew basically is is just it's a bunch of kids but so what it's a bunch of kids that are great and are inventive and are well acted and interesting characters and yeah I loved it too I really did I I never was able to finish watching it because the last short season um didn't either it didn't come out or I didn't get it until after Liz Sladen had passed away and it was just I was that was that was too much like I haven't I haven't been able to bring myself to watch it yet because there will be too much crying yeah (laughs) emotions yeah so one of these days I need to just need to just sit down and do it because I you know I've heard that there's some really good stuff in that season that I just haven't seen yet um Oh, there is. Needed to put some space. Yeah, and obviously I'm not going to ruin it for you, but the way it ends is beautiful. 
to be honest. That's all I'm going to mm-hmm. say. It, it, oh, good. Yeah, it's beautiful. So, um, but yeah, I think the opening episode of the first series, I think you remember the Re- uh, Revenge of the Slovene. Um, mm-hmm. And I know the Slovene aren't everyone's favourite Doctor Who villain, <laughs> not by a long shot, but they mm-hmm. work really well in this context. And I, yep. yeah. yeah, I ha- I was one of those people who really hated them in Doctor Who. I just could not stand them. And yet... I agree. I thought they worked perfectly in the context of this. You know, it's a kids show. It's just it's a much lighter touch on the the scariness and the darkness and the the realism mm. in, in Sarah Jane Adventures, whereas Doctor Who is trying to go for something that's a little bit more realistic and and slightly more grown up. Yeah. So uh, the Salines just don't fit into that milieu, whereas I think they slotted in perfectly in Sarah Jane. Oh, God, yeah, they, they really do. They really do. Um, and I think that I think they get the for, for a children's show and I've re, sort of been rewatching them recently. I think they're really, really scary. For kids, and at the end of like, I mean, mm-hmm. each of them are like two-part stories, and the cliffhangers are what I remember from when I was a kid watching Doctor Who. You'd be on the edge of your seat, uh-huh. sort of like biting your nails, and oh, damn, we've got to wait till next week. Um, and that's what I felt like watching Sarah Jane Avengers. I thought the cliffhangers were, were, were properly handled; mm-hmm. they really were, um, and it got you coming back for more. It really, and I, that's why I loved it because I think you're. I never thought about that before. What you said, it was like watching old Doctor Who, and you're you're absolutely right. It is. It just made me realise that it was like making me turn me back into a five year old again. It was it was brilliant. Mm-hmm. It really was. Um, but of course, this was the spin off show from Doctor that did actually feature the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I I actually have to say that I fully support the choice of the BBC to decide to have the Doctor guest. Uh, a few times on the Sarah Jane Adventures mm. and not guest on Torchwood because, and the their reasoning for it, as I understand it, is that, you know, Doctor Who is a family show. It's meant to be watched by the, the grown-ups in the family and the children in the family. Yeah. And so they're going to be invested in the Doctor as a character and want to watch him wherever he goes. So if he goes to the Sarah Jane Adventures, that's fine because it's sort of a step down in terms of, of darkness and scariness yeah. and adult content. If he goes to Torchwood, kids are going to want to watch that and Parents are going to be like, oh, hell no. So that's, you know, I, I while I, I felt like it was weird to, from a, a narrative standpoint, to never have the Doctor show up in Torchwood, uh, at least they had the Torch, some of the Torchwood characters show up in Doctor Who to kind of close that gap. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that was a much better way to do it because you can have the Torchwood characters appear without swearing for, you know, 40 minutes. <laughs> and, then, and then they can go back to whatever they were doing. What were they doing before? before. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, because I mean, I think the first one we had was the wedding of Sarah Jane Smith, which had uh, David Tennant, and apparently that was the the last thing he filmed as the Doctor. That's right, wasn't yeah. it? I actually wrote a uh, wrote a piece about that story, the wedding of Sarah Jane Smith, um, for the second Outside In book that has uh, all the stories about all of the uh, the Doctor Who new series stories. So there's one piece by uh, a different writer on each one of those. Yeah, and. They decided to include the Sarah Jane Smith stories that that the Doctor had actually appeared in. Yeah. So I did I did that one and and wrote actually a series of of thank you notes that Sarah would have had to send out after her wedding, which didn't happen. Um, sort of like right. only <laughs> my first foray into fanfic, I guess, if you want to call it that. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was such a touching story uh, that I made myself cry. So oh, I yeah. felt like that 
yeah, it was it was just it was so good. Um, the the way that they the way that they interacted and the story that they chose to put him in, where you actually have Sarah Jane, you know, falling in love with someone else and and getting married or planning to get married, but at the same time you've got sort of the not exactly love triangle, but the whole thing with the with the doctor that they've they had played with, which I wasn't a fan of at first. The idea that Sarah Jane had been in love with a doctor, but. Uh, but that's sort of the direction that they chose to go. And whether you read it that way or not, there was still a really important relationship between Sarah Jane and the doctor. So him coming in and and interacting with her and watching her fall in love with somebody else. And then, you know, of course, chaos ensues. But it, yeah. was, it was a beautiful thing. It was. It was. And I, I think that's the thing I find about um, these stories. Some of them could be, I mean... There's a lot of sort of social messages in there as well, um, mm-hmm. and I think that the, what it was highlighting with the Sarah Jane Smith is, um, there. It was quite a sad episode. Um, yep. I mean, for a as we said, for for a something that's been broadcast on CBBC, um, it was it was all quite. It's very very adult, and that's what I liked about it. It, it didn't treat its core audience as children. Mm-hmm. Really, it, it was it was grown up television for kids. And I think that's kind of certainly in the UK. I think that's missing a lot because when I obviously when I grew up watching television, you were watching adults. Now I don't know how mm-hmm. they looked old when when I was a kid. Um, mm-hmm. I, now people just looked old in the seventies. They're probably they're probably in their early twenties. <laughs> they just looked old with comb overs and God knows what. Um, but I think TV today it's so quick and fast, and they think kids don't have an attention span. I think they're doing kids a big injustice. There, to be honest, you know, if you make good television, mm-hmm. kids will sit down and watch it. Yep, and you, you know, know d- sadness is is a part of the world yes. that kids live in. Yes, it, that's erasing that from their media is not going to erase it from their lives, and in fact, it's harmful because it doesn't give them a you know, it, it's taking something that exists in their real life and removing it from the media that they consume, which is is you know that's that's quite a bad thing because you should be reflecting the totality of life for them. You know, not in every show, but it should be available. Yeah. And because otherwise, how do you learn to to deal with with that sort of thing, um, except by just like you know you don't you don't have that character on TV helping helping you through it in the way that you might have them helping you through you know school bullies or something mm. like that. I I I learned a lot about how to interact with the world by watching the television that I did as a kid, um, because that's just that's that's how we learn and grow. You, you know whether it was TV or books or whatever. Um, you know, you pick things up about the world, and when you take that giant piece out of it and try to like coddle kids too much, um, I, I feel like that's not a great thing to do no, psychologically. No, me neither. Me neither. No. So, so I think this is why I think I'd I'd, I'd love it so much, to be honest, because it 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 was doing exactly that. Um, I mean, even up to the the unfortunate and, and sad end to the to to the show. Um, I think had it gone on. I don't know if this is true or not, but the Luke character was gonna uh, was gonna come out as gay because he because he left mm-hmm. didn't he to go off to college or, or university or, or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. So he, he was gonna he was gonna sort of come out and and I think that's the the kind of this the kind of show this was. It wasn't because it tackled homelessness. It, it, it tackled just like the the pain of sort of like growing up into a teenager, the pain of leaving home. Um, then you had sort of, then it might have or gone down that 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 avenue of, you know, exploring your sexuality as well. So, mm-hmm. and I think for, for a, 
a children's show and a science fiction children's show at that. Um, <laughs> you know, it's brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. You know, so hundred percent. Yeah. So, but as we said, it 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 finished. Um, you know, prematurely, unfortunately, with the passing of Liz Sladen, um, which I don't know when you, how you guys heard the news um, on your side of the pond, but over here, I woke up um, in the morning, sort of put the television on, breakfast TV, and, and they announced that, that she died. I thought, what? I was absolutely gobsmacked. I just couldn't, mm-hmm. I could not believe it. And then during the course of the next couple of days there's this outpouring of, of grief from from kids um who were posting stuff on the bbc website i think it was on the news round um which is the, mm. the show over here um posting stuff on there um and it, it just sort of said to the to, to everybody really just how much this character meant to everybody and what liz sladen meant to everybody as well um and i, I don't think that can that can be ignored to it really can't she, she was a wonderful wonderful um actress and, and, and it was a wonderful character mm-hmm. as well yeah i i saw the news on twitter and i i mean i've had a lot of you know people who who were media personalities and actors and yeah. stuff that that i've really appreciated and really loved in things i've you know learned of their death and been very sad i have never had a reaction like i did to when I saw that tweet that she passed. Like I'm getting like I'm getting a little choked up just thinking about it. I sobbed. I'm not a sobber. Like that's not that's not generally the way that no. I cry. <laughs> but I just I just my cheese slid completely off my cracker and there was there was there was nothing left in me. I just I just dissolved and it was awful. And and yeah, and it was just it was weeks that I would just, you know, I'd think about it and just get all get all misty again, which is like I said, is why I still haven't watched season five. <laughs> because because it's just I, I don't think I realized quite what a formative effect that she had on me as a child because I started watching Doctor Who when I was four or five. Mm-hmm. And it was with her Tom Baker episodes. Yeah. So I think she and, and I don't even remember those episodes. I don't remember watching them. I just remember that I watched them. I just have this picture of her as a part of my life because yeah. I was so young. And I think that, like, I thought the doctor was just, like, you know, our, my uncle that came to visit. And Sarah Jane was just, like, my aunt or something. Yeah. It was a weird, a weird kid thing that I had absorbed on such a deep level at my core that it wasn't until she passed away that I actually was able to sort of, like, pull that apart and realize how much a part of me she, yes. her character really was yeah no, she she was absolutely amazing she really was amazing so but anyway this leads us on to our um our last spin-off from what we sort of started talking about when we started this podcast <laughs> class what have i been waiting for been wasting all my time watching my youth slip away surely is a crime Now, um, yes. Now, as you as you said, it was poorly treated by BBC America. Um, mm-hmm. In the, there was the scheduling all over the place with it, because from my point of view, mm-hmm. it seemed to be quite hyped up. Because it because it was it started at about the same time as series ten, didn't it? They, they held off a long time, didn't they? 
Yeah, see, and that, I think, was the problem. I think the people who were doing the scheduling at BBC America were still, like, old school enough to not understand how global media works in mm. this day and age. Yeah. Like, they, they made they made a decision that, I don't know, five, ten years ago would have, would have probably been very smart. They wanted to pair class with the new season of Doctor Who to sort of give, give class a bump. Of, of audience, you know, yeah. people watching Doctor Who, probably many of them will be interested in class. So they'll get that, you know, that runoff, basically, people will just stick around and keep watching. And that's, you know, that's a sound business decision. Mm. But when that show that they're trying to give a boost is actually airing six months before something like that, so ridiculous uh, in, like that. Yeah. in the UK and right across the border in Canada, where I am, I was able to watch class as it as it aired in the UK. Mm. All of the at all of the most important buzz about the show was actually happening six months before anybody in the United States could legally watch it. So the people who were truly invested in Doctor Who, like the Tumblr crowd and the hardcore fans, yeah. who I think who I think are the real target audience in the States to to be the core audience and to pump it up and, you know, get other people on board and involved, were illegally downloading it and watching it at that time. And because they because most of the people in the United States, you know, weren't legally watching it. It's it's harder to take part in those international conversations like you still can. Yeah. But uh, it's harder to get other like when that buzz is going. It's hard to tell, you know, your your you know neighbor down the street or that girl in your chemistry class. Hey, you should watch this show when you'd have to tell her, teach her about BitTorrent and how to download it. And like <laughs> you can't just say, hey, turn on BBC America at, you know, 9 p.m. on Saturday because it's it's not there. So so the I think the, the really crucial time for the the bubble mm. um, to to be able to to get new viewers in, involved was the time that it was airing in the UK, like the first airing. Yeah. Because then, by the time it showed in the United States, yes, there were people who are fans who waited and, and watched it then, but the conversation about it on social media wasn't happening anymore, or, or what was happening was much more muted because so many people had already seen it and it was kind of old news. Mm. So yeah. when you take the excitement and you spread it out. Um, that much, you lose the potential for so many more people to jump on board and watch that show. So I think that's a big part of of what killed it on this continent. Yeah, I, I yeah, I can I can really see that. It was um, I think because because over here obviously it was it was the first sort of big thing that was sort of created um for because BBC Three. The, the the TV channel got shut down, so it now just became three, which is this this on this online platform. Oh right, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was an online only kind of thing to watch. I think you could watch it on the iPlayer eventually, but first of all, it was you could you could only sort of watch it on a computer or whatever. So mm-hmm. um, I think even f- from the off, it w- it was it was a strange way to launch a TV show. Um, and, and, yeah. and obviously, your first episode's got Peter Capaldi in it as the Doctor, and it's the first. I think this is the thing that the problem people had with this show that it was a spin-off, but usually spin-offs have characters carried over from the parent show. In this case, there wasn't. Mm-hmm. You never met any of these characters before, so they introduced the Doctor to sort of bring it into that universe. Obviously, it was set at Coal Hill School, so people should know. Mm-hmm. Or Doctor Who fans would know anyway that you know. Right. It's in the Doctor Who universe, but they they brought in Peter Capaldi at the end to thought, to actually mm-hmm. set it in stone. This is the Doctor Who universe. Then he was gone. Um, so I think a lot of people had problems with that 
that the fact well that these people weren't in Doctor Who. How can it be a spin-off? And I can kind of understand that. Um, but I thought, well, okay, it's set in the same universe. It's trying to be its own thing, though, and it very much was its own thing. Um, and I thought it was, it had a lot of potential. I really did. Um, but unfortunately, just putting it on online, and I thought, yeah, because only kids watch stuff online. And that, I think that was the reasoning behind it. Only kids yep. watch stuff online. Wrong. That is so wrong. Mm. And I think, yeah. and I think the BBC still haven't quite got the hang of what to do with 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 online content. Mm-hmm. They st- they still they you know they they put stuff on um, television on the main channels and and that's it. And they, there's also an audience online as well. But what they did with this, they thought, okay, we're putting this towards teenagers, and they all they watch is online content, so we'll put it online. And I think that's what really killed it because you're you're cutting out a whole demographic right there, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, but I say this. I mean, I mean, I mean the, the, the middle aged demographic. So, but hell, I watched it and I enjoyed it. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think I think based on the charter, it eventually had to air on BBC One, and they put it at like I don't know 11 p.m. or midnight or something months later. So it so it was kind of like a, a miniature version of what happened, you know, from, from oh, like they killed the it. UK to the US. Yeah, they absolutely because, killed it here. Yeah, because the conversation should be happening around the show when it is first going out but if it's going out online and i don't even like being over here i don't even know what that means does that is was it a streaming service was it just a website that you have to go to and press play on the website or i mean it it sounds like it might have made too many hoops to jump through whereas you know if if something at least here if something's um streaming on netflix that's easy enough uh, if it's streaming on iplayer like that's easy enough you yeah. can just go but if it's if it's some other extra service people don't want to jump through extra hoops no I, so you're just putting barrier after barrier yeah and no, you, you could watch it on the iplayer it, 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 it came on there i think what the i think what you might be referring to there was the bbc store because you could buy all oh, this video right. content i bought um Oh, what was it that came out? Power of the Daleks, the that animation mm-hmm. that, and it came online first. So um, I signed up to the BBC Store, and I thought the whole idea was you you bought it online and you could watch it anywhere you like. No, you had to watch it through the BBC Player, Ugh. and there was no other option. That was it. You had to watch it through the BBC Player, and you had to log into the BBC site um, every time you wanted to watch it. Um, and now because they've shut that down. You can no longer get access to your content, so they're actually giving people Amazon vouchers. Mm. So badly handled. It is ridiculous. It's Mm. absolutely crazy. But when they did show class, now, on terrestrial television, they put it on BBC One, um, and they were showing back-to-back episodes. And it was almost as if they were trying to get rid of it as quickly as possible. It was like, (laughs) Mm -hmm. we're contractually obliged to show this on BBC One, but we're going to get rid of it in four weeks rather than the you know eight episodes. We're going to show... You know, four blocks of two. Um, mm-hmm. And it was getting less than a million viewers an episode. I mean, it was going out at sort of like half past 11. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, again, who are you showing this show to? What, you know, you know, people who are insomniacs. I mean, you know, come on, it's midweek as well. Right. You know, so so people have got to work next morning, you know, so people aren't staying up late yeah, to watch if- it, you know. And if you're aiming for, you know, teens and tweens and stuff like that to be to be watching it, they probably have school the next day. Who's which? What parents are going to let their kids start watching something at, you know, eleven thirty at night? 
Like, what? I know, exactly. Mm-hmm. Or some teenagers, they're doing the things that the teenagers are doing in the show, you know, so <laughs> that's what they're mm, yeah. rather than watching television, you know, so... Um, but I, I, I thought it had a lot of potential. And again, it ended on, on, a, on a nice cliffhanger. Um, it, was, it was like a double cliffhanger, really. Um, but I, I thought it was... It was... How can I put it? It wasn't making the, the mistakes that Torture was making in its first series. Yep. I thought it pretty much... Okay, it was trying to find its feet in a few, you know, with a few episodes. But I thought, come the end, <laughs> you really cared about all these characters. Yes. You really, yeah, and they, and they went in, you know, because it was a young adult show. I think that might have hurt it with some viewers as well, because I think a lot of adults see young adult, and what they think of when they see young adult is actually uh, what's referred to as mid grade for for the type of fiction, mm. which is like you know more for for kids that are a little bit older, whereas. Young adult, the way that it actually exists, especially in books these days, has a tendency to be pretty gory and have actual sex in it because these are things that young adults are dealing with in the world. Mm. So I think for a lot of adults, it was a little bit of a surprise to see see so much gore and darkness and, you know, romantic relationships and, and that sort of thing. Whereas those are staples of, yes. of young adult fiction. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's why... For me, I thought it, it worked well because it, it was, mm-hmm. how can you put it? it? It sort of did what you said on the tin. It, it was, I know it was, it's called young, young, young adult um, mm-hmm. uh, sort of media, isn't it? So uh, rather than teenage or youth, what we want to call it. Um, that's mm-hmm. me showing my age there. Sorry, <laughs> 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 but um, now I think I think it ticked all the boxes. Really, um, mm-hmm. there, I mean, I, I, okay, there, there were a couple of sort of clunky episodes along the way, but. It was nowhere near as clunky as, say, like Miracle Day was, for argument's sake. Yeah, oh, God, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? It... And honestly, at the end of every episode of Class, I think I was more excited about watching the next episode than I was even even the last few, you know, seasons of Doctor Who. And I was really excited in the last few seasons mm, yeah, of Doctor Who at yeah. the end of each episode to watch the next one. But I think Class had that, I mean, and I, I like young adult fiction, so this is this is my wheelhouse to start with. <laughs> yeah. But I, I feel, so I feel like those, the, the way that you are sort of bonded with the characters in a young adult story, um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of feels, many, many feels yeah. in those stories. And that, that appeals to me. So I was very invested in these characters and finally, Finding out what happened to them and finding out what happened to them next. So I went into every or to the end of every episode just going, oh, now I have to wait for a week because, <laughs> you know, I need to find out what's going to happen with Quill because she's like the greatest character in the history of Dr. <laughs> I love her so much. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've actually found her character a little bit too abrasive to begin with, but come the end, I really warmed to her. Really, mm-hmm. I, I really did. I thought she was um, really, really hilarious, actually, to be honest. Yeah, I was just, I found it so refreshing to have a character that was allowed to be that abrasive and who was very clearly a, a pretty awful monster of a person who was only being kept in check by, you know, a, a thing stuck in her brain. Yeah. And, and have that character be played by a woman who was a very talented actress. It's it's not something that you get to see very often. Usually when when characters are, are you know, the the broken down, you know, bad guy who 
eventually learns to have a heart of gold. Mm. That tends to be a, a male role, and I've seen that a lot of times. Yeah. This was this was different, and she was an alien, yeah. so you know, added bonus points. <laughs> and yes, by the time the, like that it ended, she had she had sort of you know warmed to some extent to the characters that she was surrounded with, and and I at the beginning I was just hoping that that was the direction that it was going to go in. But even if it didn't, I was happy to be along with, for the ride. Oh, yeah. And then it did go that way. So it just it worked out perfectly. <laughs> I think my favorite character was Matthias, actually. Because mm. I just like the his little asides <laughs> during it. He, he, he did some little, little, sort of little comment or put down. And I think when we were reviewing it, um, when it aired last year, we sort of, me and Paul were sort of picking up on his sort of, his little asides all the time. He sort of, little light-hearted moments amongst all the the dark stuff that was going on um so yeah i felt he was he was sort of under underserved he wasn't even considered one of the main cast he was listed as a recurring character yeah exactly and i was like what the what this dude <laughs> like he he deserves to be right up there because i felt like while he didn't have as many front and center lines he was very much sort of like uh, the backbone the core the the emotional center of a lot of the story yes Yes, I totally agree. I totally agree. Mm-hmm. So, but it's a shame because that—I mean—that that got was it last month actually it was finally announced it it won't be coming back, um, and mm. I think that's a shame, to be honest. Yep, I really do. It is. I thought I would have loved to have seen like when I saw the cliffhanger at the end, I was like, oh my god, I hope this show gets picked up again because I really want to see what happens next. And yeah, it's it's a little bit heartbreaking, especially since, you know, many of those young actors haven't done a whole lot before or have done nothing before. No, no, exactly. And it sucks for them to not be able to continue on with this. I hope that they all get amazing roles elsewhere and go on to do wonderful things. And I suspect that they will. But it's it's sad that this is it's it's one thing. My my the saving grace that I'm kind of keeping in my head is that, you know, maybe if it had gone on. Um, it would have it would have fallen apart a little bit, especially based on the you know very Doctor Who specific cliffhanger yeah. that we had at the end there. I don't know that they would have been able to play out a whole season of of making that work. So maybe it's like you know I, I try to think of it as the the flyer, Firefly effect. Firefly was canceled I think too early, but because it was canceled, it never had the chance to fail. So you get this one almost perfect season of of something that I really really love and. And it will just be this perfect jewel forever and ever. And that's kind of how I look at class. Like it, it now it hasn't had a chance to, to go on and fall apart. So it will always, always be as good as it was in the first season. And I think that is a perfect way to end this little discussion. <laughs> <laughs> Huzzah. Huzzah. No, that's, that's wonderful. Thank, thank you so much. That's been really great talking to you um, about this because um, I thought, you know, when, when I saw that class was um, was cancelled, and I, th- I was I was really sort of gutted about that, and then I sort of going back through old podcasts and saw the last one we did together, and I thought, right, this is this is a good topic of conversation with Erica. So there we go. I'm so glad you asked me. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on here, Erica. It really, as always, as always, and um, of course, as is um, customary in these situations, we like to tell people where they can find your marvelous podcasts. Okay. Um, Deep breath. There are, yeah. <laughs> right. Let's see. Let's see how many I can remember. Uh, I have been. I've been a very busy podcaster. 
uh, of late. So I would say that sort of my main podcast, a Doctor Who podcast, is Verity, the Verity podcast, where I talk about Doctor Who with five other um, insightful and intelligent women from all across the globe. And uh, my other Doctor Who podcast is called Lazy Doctor Who, and that is where my spouse Stephen and I uh, are watching every single episode of Doctor Who in order. Um, and then we just sit on the couch and talk about it for like 10, 15 minutes after each episode airs. And that is it for specific Doctor Who stuff. Um, but I also do a podcast about Babylon 5 called The Audio Guide to Babylon 5. Yay. We are finally up to the fifth season. So um, if you want to rewatch that show, it's a good way to do it. Uh, I played Dungeons and Dragons on the internet um, in video and audio form on the Total Party Kill podcast, which is on the Incomparable Podcast Network, and I'm on a bunch of other shows on the Incomparable Podcast Network. Uh, there's a lot of game shows involved there, and we talk about geeky stuff. So I'm all over that network. I also co-produce and do the readings for the Uncanny Magazine podcast, which actually won a, a couple of Hugo Awards. So that was pretty exciting. And I have a hockey podcast called Beginner's Puck, which is aimed at people who are new to hockey. So if, if you're interested in, in learning about hockey, we are the podcast for you. And relax. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And relax. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Erica. Thank you so much. So I recommend you listen to all of those podcasts, everybody. So get downloading. <laughs> get downloading. Okay, so it just needs me to wrap this up now. So thanks again, Erica. So it's goodbye from me, Phil. And goodbye for me, Erica. Goodbye. Listening to the Who's He podcast. Please visit our website at who's-he-podcast.co.uk. You can also follow us on Twitter at who's underscore he underscore podcast. And please also join the Who's He podcast Facebook group. The Who's He podcast is a member of the Doctor Who Podcast Alliance. Mm-hmm.